I rolled into the gas station at uh, uh, Camp Verde and I had like 150 grams of carbohydrates, like was just sitting in front of the soda machine, just like chugging soda. An hour later, my blood sugar was low again. I hadn't taken insulin that entire time. The last time I had taken insulin was for breakfast the morning before, cut back on insulin. And yeah, so I reached a point um, just south of Stoneman Lake where I was still super low. And it's just like, every time you go low, it's almost like you're bonking, right? Like that's how mm-hmm. your legs feel. Like you just have this epic bonk and it just like compounds on each other. So I got to Stoneman Lake and I was just like, every single climb any gradient at all i had to get off the bike and just push my bike and i was like stumbling all right guys that was ezra welcome to another episode of the stoke podcast guys thank you so much for tuning in you guys really motivate me to keep posting these episodes on a weekly basis um, and that'll range throughout the week. Um, If you guys want to stay updated on when episodes will be posted, head over to Stoke Podcast on Instagram. Uh, Just recently created a new profile for this platform Um, and you guys have been giving me awesome feedback so thank you. Uh, I'm always trying to do better and I just want to get some really cool stories out to you guys. And the whole reason I started this podcast was I always listen to podcasts and I'm always thinking, man, ask that question, ask those questions, you know? And so, um, I really want to focus on like, got experiences on the bike, how it can be translated to a spiritual experience, um, how it can be shifted, um, into your everyday life from mindset to routine, um, to when things get hard, you know, I mean, these are all things that we learn while we're on our bike. So Ezra was a great example of that in this episode. He he has been through the shit. He has tripped. He has had a tooth infection. He's ridden thousands and thousands of miles. So um, this conversation was beyond, beyond stoke. Um, it was super cool. So um, moving on, guys, uh, we got a few things come in um, for 2023. Uh, we got the Verde Valley Rally is uh, a bike race in Cottonwood, Arizona. It takes place at Dead Horse National Park. Um, if you guys are not familiar with this trail, it is unreal. I keep saying it's like Moab and Sedona had a baby, right? So it's kind of a mixture between dirt and some fun rock. But we got a 44-miler. We got a 30. We got a 15. So we got races for everyone. We got a kid's race. The venue is at Blazon M Ranch. Um, it's like this old Western venue. So these old houses with like these old pubs um, with like the swinging doors. So uh, we're going to have some live music. I'll have my single speed coffee trailer there. And guys, um, if you have events, if you're an event coordinator um, and you need coffee, I'm your guy. Just let me know. Um, Kenzie and I uh, will drive that trailer to wherever you are and we will serve some coffee. All right. So, um, huge shout out to the single speed roasters. Um, some of the best coffee in Arizona by far. Um, Brad is the owner and he 
has a deep love for coffee. Um, so they're doing some really cool things in Flagstaff. Um, just look, just look them up. They're, they're good coffee. Um, and we also have a gravel race that is not a race, but it's not a group ride. So it's called Mugs, um, Mingus Underground Gravel. So it's going to be pretty sick. Uh, it's going to be in Jerome and it's going to ride all the way to almost Williams and back. So it's about 103 miles is the GPS course. So um, keep an eye on that. You can find that on Bike Reg. You can find Verde Valley Rally on Bike Reg. So these are things that you can uh, search up. Um, and in the show notes, verdevalleyrally.com, there's more information. It's not completely updated because we're kind of far out, but that'll get updated as we get closer to the dates. Um, and also, Confluence 928 is more than an off-road team. It is a community. Um, we want to bring people together. We want to support riders in all disciplines. Um, we do have a pro A team um, that we are trying to support um, the best we can. Um, so we're brand new. Uh, if you guys have any idea of how we can boost this program, please let me know. I'm new to this. Um, we got some awesome riders, including myself, uh, that are representing Arizona and racing at a really high level. So, um, yeah, if you guys know of anyone who wants to support this team, let me know. Let me know on my Instagram because um, we would love to have more sponsors and more funding. So, all right. Uh, you guys can find that on Instagram as well. Um, that will be a website soon, but stay posted. But anyway, enough with that. Let's get going. Let's get rad. Let's get stoked. Guys, Ezra is on today's episode. He is unreal. He has a cool story. He has a love for bikes that it's hard to even wrap your mind around. He lives in a van to ride his bike. He works on bikes. He loves bikes. And this guy will go so deep just to win and to beat you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, help me introduce Ezra Ward Packard. Boom. Right, welcome to the Stoke Podcast, everyone. Uh, today I got Ezra Ward Packer. Did I say that right? Ward Packard. Ward Packard. And yeah. uh, Ezra is a ultra endurance cyclist. Um, had a really cool upbringing um, from the high school sports into senior year. Um, getting on a road team, a pretty stout road team, and um, kind of doing three years of that, and then realized uh, college is college is. Um, calling your name and then uh, you got into the ultra stuff um, and became really good at it. So you did your research. A, you did your research. Look at that. Yeah, man, you got to. So, um, yo, um, we're just going to talk bikes today. <clears throat> we're going to talk life today, mindset, um, everything that you've kind of been through to get yourself to where you are today. Um, I won't go too much into like 
Ezra's story from the beginning. Um, be, I, I know that's a really um, important part of where you are, but I also just want to give the listeners a chance to hear um, your experience moving through this kind of dimensional uh, changes with the bike, right? So going from like 400 watts trying to stay behind people's wheel to like, where do I get my next water kind of thing, yeah. you know? So it's a complete shift. So welcome to the podcast, Ezra. Super stoked to have you. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Um, and so, so last year you, so when, when did the bike packing first start? Let's get there first. Yeah. So I'll do a real quick overview of like my cycling journey. Um, started in high school, started racing, junior road racing and cyclocross became obsessed with that right out of high school, went and raced for a pro continental development team. So we got the world tour teams, the big hitters, the pro Conti teams, a step below that, then there's the continental teams. And then below that is kind of the wild West. I was part of the wild West. I was on a feeder team for the pro continental team, never actually made it to the professional pro continental ranks but I was still kind of a professional. Like I got paid. I traveled around with my team. I lived in a team house, raced in Europe a few times, was never really good. I like always got by. I was always like strong and was kind of just like in the pack. You know, if you like look at my like USAC results, I'm just kind of like there, but never actually like I won one race. And I think I raced like 213 times in that three-year period. Um, Got super super, super burnt out on road racing just because it's like all I did for three years. And I was young. Like I just didn't have, I feel like I didn't have the skills to like balance everything in my life. Right. So it's like, I didn't have a social life. I didn't really have friends. I just like had my teammates and I had my bike and there was like nothing else going on in my life for me to like turn off that like athlete part of my brain. Ended up going to college for four years. Um, at the start of college, um, I wasn't really riding all that much. Wasn't really interested in like training or racing or anything like that. Again, pretty burnt out. Where I went to school, there were a whole bunch of gravel roads around, right? So the pavement was garbage. The gravel was incredible. There was also, it was, uh, I went to Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. There's also this like really cool grassroots gravel scene in Minnesota one of the original gravel races in Minnesota is the Almanzo. And I did that a few times. There was also just these like random weekend events where it's like, Hey, meet at this place and we're going to race on these gravel roads. And so I started to get into that, but it was kind of similar to road racing in a way. Um, and for me, it was kind of all about adventure. Like my best day in college, like the best day I ever had in college wasn't some crazy party or anything like that. I went on a climbing outing with the climbing club and we went to Red Wing, Minnesota, which is on the Mississippi river. And I was like, Oh, that's only 45 miles away. So I ended up riding my bike to Red Wing climbing all day and rode back. And I just got back and I was like, I just want to do stuff like that for the rest of my life. Like that was like the happiest I had been in three years after that day. And it was like, like my junior year or something like that. It was kind of late in my college career. And I was like, oh, this is what actually makes me happy is these just massive days on the bike. Um, so that kind of got the 
yeah, the bikepacking bug going. Um, and I just like, I wanted to go longer. I just wanted to explore more. Um, started looking at races, um, saw that Arkansas high country race was going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, was going to be at the very end of, I graduated in 2020. So it was going to be in June of 2020 was working at a bike shop at the time, was planning on graduating a trimester early. We were on the trimester system and working at that bike shop and then going to do Arkansas high country race. And so that winter really just started hitting it hard again. Winter in Minnesota, you can't really train outside that much. So just going down to the bike shop an hour and a half before I worked, riding on Zwift, showering, working my four hour shift, going to class, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I was just kind of like, it just like re-sparked this competitive urge in me that like was kind of like repressed in college there for a little while, but I was like, oh, I really like racing my bike, but I like doing it in a different way than I did, you know, four years before in the road scene. And was it, um, this was like, right when you're kind of graduating college, this was like when you were focusing on gravel right? So kind of a shorter distance or were you, were you still kind of getting into the ultra stuff? I mean, like I was doing some gravel, but I didn't, I kind of knew that I was never going to have like the same sort of fitness that I had had back in the road racing days. And it's very similar kind of fitness. Um, so in 2020, that was going to be my first like really big focus gravel year and obviously because of the pandemic that didn't happen i went to the kind of infamous 2020 mid-south where the whole world was shutting down well mid-south was like is it going to happen is it not going to happen um and then after that yeah um I don't know where I was going with that. I lost my tangent. Um, but no, it was like gravel was definitely like, I enjoyed riding off roads, but I was naturally drawn to those longer distances, right? So I'd gotten into Unbound and was very excited about doing the 200. And I was like, oh, 200 miles, I actually have a chance because that was my thing back in road racing is it's a 60 minute crit. I have zero chance of getting any result. Every once in a while, we would have like a hundred mile road race. And I'm like, oh, I might actually do well in that. I was very much a diesel. My old coach used to call me a dump truck just because I was like a little bit bigger of a rider and had a little bit lower of a cadence. And I could just like go and go and go and go. And the minute that someone attacked, it's like, I'm going to need the next two minutes to actually catch this person and not just jump on their wheel immediately. So it just kind of like fit me better. Um, and like the more that I train for these races, the more I think I just realized that I like doing really, really long days on the bike. So cool. And like, why, why do you think you were attracted to the long days? I know it's like, I'm, I'm kind of in the same build diesel, like low cadence yeah. and I can just power down when a little, a little guy will pass me. I'm like you, it's like, all right, two minutes, I'll get, get back on his wheel. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a physical body type, but also like, um, was there an attraction for kind of a, like the mindset and everything that goes into an ultra, um, kind of the deep mysterious ventures that ultras have? Yeah. Um, I don't, I think I've always been attracted to it in a way, like even in the road racing days, my recovery days, I would go find random gravel roads to go ride on my road bike. 
um, in the off season. I was all about like, oh, I'm going to, you know, we're taking a family trip up to Madison and I'm going to jump on my bike and ride back to Lake Geneva in southeastern Wisconsin. Like just kind of like finding those adventures where I could. Um, so there was that um, over like summer break in college. Another thing that I did was my summer job was leading bike touring trips. So I led for three years, I led one trip from the coast of Maine, Brunswick, Maine to uh, Quebec City. And then the next two years, I did coast to coast trips. So from Charleston, South Carolina to San Diego. So I did that back to back years. And that was another thing that really like opened my eyes to like bike touring but I also like going fast. So bike packing just kind of seemed like that perfect balance because you get to see so much so quickly. And really like, I think seeing the world on the bike is like the only way that I want to see the world. Like it's just perfect. I've been over to Europe and like done some backpacking and I'm like, I really wish I had my bike because then rather than like only being able to hike up this one mountain, I could go do six mountains in one day. Right. And yeah. it's just like, it just seems like the most efficient way to do things. But then at the same time, it's also slow enough that you can really just soak everything in and enjoy it. Totally. And you can be a part of the, the terrain, you know, yeah. it, you have this piece of equipment that can, you know, take, take single track or take a gravel road, but you know, you see a mountain in front of you and you're literally using your own physical energy to to move through landscapes it's yep, for sure so cool um yeah. and i want to talk a little bit about um pinions and pines um yeah. do have you done it twice so in 2021 i completed it and then this past year 2022 i ended up dropping out about 200 miles into the I think it was 308 this past year. So started it twice, finished it once. And for all the listeners, Pinions and Pines is a local Flagstaff, Verde Valley loop that's brought on by um, Dana Ernst, uh, episode one. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of doing it this year, but I just want nice, to get some, nice. you know, I want to hear your story on like the first year you completed it and took second um, yep. and you were under biking completely um this is a i mean i doing it on a full rigid is pretty tough so like pinions and pines this area usually at least a front fork would be nice you know yep. for a big big race around um the coconino um slash yavapai county it's pretty chunky so yes. um you did it on a fully rigid and took second um what was the reason for you know this past year why did you drop out yeah. So, um, I am a type one diabetic. I've been a type one diabetic since I was, oh geez, 2005. So I was 11, 12 years old. I don't remember. I'm too old to remember these things anymore. Um, and yeah, I just had a really weird, um, really hard time managing my blood sugars. I'm not exactly sure what the deal was because it's something that like similar things have happened. Um, essentially what happened is that I just could not keep my blood sugars up. Um, the night before my blood sugars were a little bit high and I took insulin. So for those who don't know, real basic type one diabetic, your body doesn't produce insulin. Insulin allows for the management of your blood sugar. I'm not a doctor. 
there's better ways to explain that, but you eat glucose, you eat carbohydrates, your blood sugar is going to go up. You take insulin, your blood sugar is going to go down. There's 28 other factors that affect your blood glucose, right? So exercise is one, heat, sleep deprivation, caffeine, on and on and on. So really like bike pack racing is kind of a ridiculous thing to do for a type one diabetic because all 28 of those things are involved in bike pack racing. In this instance, I kind of knew right from the start. So how the course started is that you went up um, Schultz Creek, uh, Schultz Pass Road, and then you turned off onto the AZT and then took the AZT up um, up towards uh, Aspen Corner around Humphreys and then down onto the forest roads heading over towards like Williams. Dang. I took off like the minute that the neutral rollout section started, because again, I was kind of underbiking. This time I did have my gravel fork, which was 60 millimeters of travel, but I, I like racing from the front. It's something that has served me well at some points in my life and has not served me well at other points in my life. So the, the minute that the minute that we hit Schultz Pass, I just kind of took off because I knew that there were people on mountain biker or people on mountain bikes who were going to catch me on the AZT. And I just wanted to be out of the fray, right? Like I knew that those early single track sections, I wanted a little bit of a gap. By the time that I got to Snowball Road, my blood sugar had already plummeted and I stopped at Snowball Road and started taking, you know, the goos that I had. And for the next, oh, it was almost 20 hours. Like my blood sugar never really went above a hundred. It was just constantly normal blood sugar is anything from 80 to 140 for someone who has a fully functioning pancreas. If you're below 80, that's where you're having a low blood sugar and where you need to eat sugar to get it up. The symptoms of having a low blood sugar are you're dizzy, you're groggy, you're kind of just like disoriented. You can get sweaty. And then like the feeling of having a little blood sugar, I kind of equate it to just being drunk. You just kind of feel like you are had one too many drinks and you're just kind of like stumbling around. So for 20 hours, I was just like, I rolled into the gas station at uh, uh, Camp Verde and I had like, 150 grams of carbohydrates like was just sitting in front of the soda machine just like chugging soda an hour later my blood sugar was low again i hadn't taken insulin that entire time the last time i had taken insulin was for breakfast the morning before cut back on insulin and yeah so i reached a point um just south of stoneman lake where i was still super low and it's just like Every time you go low, it's almost like you're bonking, right? Like that's how mm -hmm. your legs feel. Like you just have this epic bonk and it just like compounds on each other. So I got to Stoneman Lake and I was just like every single climb, any gradient at all, I had to get off the bike and just push my bike. And I was like stumbling. So thankfully and I had you're some a competitor, self you know, and you, it probably kills you when you're walking the bike up a 4% oh, grade. At this point I was, it was like the race for me was over. Like yeah. at this point, I think I was maybe like fifth or something like that, but it kind of turned into survival mode. And yeah. that's something that like, usually I'm not in survival mode. Usually I'm like pretty confident that even if something goes wrong, 
I can kind of just like out fitness my way out of the situation. So a storm's rolling in or something like that. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to be cold for the next hour, but now I'm going to put the power down and get to that spot where I can dry out. Mm -hmm. But with this, it was different. This was me making sure that I had enough and my blood sugar was still going low. Um, Making sure that I had enough sugar to, you know, hopefully get to Lake Mary Road where I knew I would have cell coverage. Thankfully, I did have cell coverage. Um, And Flagstaff local, Eric Morton, I know he has a big old truck. And so I called him and I was like, dude, I hate doing this, but I need you to come rescue me. I mean, he drove down with his truck and picked me up and took me back to my van where I live. And it was like the whole thing just made no sense because like after all of this, right, I'm finally done. I'm off the course. I get back to the van. I make myself a meal. I'm exhausted. I've, you know, I took like maybe three 20 minute naps or something like that. I take a nap. I wake up and my blood sugar is 50 again. So I don't know what happened with my body, but it was just one of these weird things where something was off. And there was just like no way for me to like safely continue to ride my bike or do anything, but sit around for the next like 72 hours and make sure that I was always in within arm's reach of a Coke. So dang, and it happens. <laughs> yeah, it totally happens. And that, um, that leads me into the next topic because it's super, super important and, uh, wise of you to drop out, you know, especially yeah. When your body's not doing good and, um, and you have type one diabetes, which, um, you know, which two questions. So I ran down and I, to do a ultra bike packing race, you, you, you said it earlier, you drink caffeine. We have to eat a stupid amount of sugar and carbs and food and water, you know, just to sustain fuel it's, it's our it's our gas you know it's our gasoline we, yep. that's the way um even even if you're doing a hundred mile race you know that you need to be eating a bunch of sugar um and so how how do you manage that balance between um being a high level ultra endurance athlete and also a type one diabetic is it because it's kind of um uh, contrary right like you said before yeah um how i manage is like one being ridiculously well prepared for any situation right where you know even in this instance this is this had been the scariest it had ever been right where my blood sugar is like that low mm-hmm. but at the same time i had enough food on me that I could have safely, you know, like, I'm not going to ride hard. I'm not going to like walk hard, but I could have gotten, you know, to Lake Mary road. Right. And hitchhiked my way back to Flagstaff if I couldn't get a ride or something like that. Right. It wasn't at a point where I was like scared for my life. Um, My mom was probably a little bit scared. I was not at that point. So then the other thing is, is I have what's called a glucagon, which is if your blood sugar goes too low, you pass out. Um, Most likely you'll have a seizure, right? And this is like when your blood sugar is like below 30. Um, And so what I have is emergency glucagon. And what glucagon does is it's a substance that releases your liver's 
emergency supply of glucose, right? You would never, and I think it's mildly controversial for you to, for me even to say this, right? But you would never really self-inject glucagon, right? Like glucagon is something that you would give yourself, that someone would give to you if they found you passed out, right? So, you know, an ambulance is always going to have glucagon and they're going to, you know, find someone unconscious. And if there's anyone around being like, hey, what's wrong with this person? I also am always wearing a medical ID, which says that I'm a type one diabetic, right? And if I were laying on the side of the road, they checked my medical ID, saw that I was type one diabetic, they would give me that glucagon. I always have glucagon on me just in case I get to a point where I'm like, oh shit, this got very, very real. I'm going to self-administer glucagon. It's going to make me feel like shit, but my blood sugar is going to skyrocket. And that's going to keep me alive, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to give me more time to figure out a way to get out of this situation. Um, other ways that I manage, I have, uh, you can kind of see it on my arm. Yo, yeah. A continuous blood glucose monitor, a CGM for short. These have become a lot more popular in recent years with a whole bunch of different companies who are using them for athletes just to, you know, monitor their blood glucose levels. It's a technology that's been around for ooh, maybe 10 years for diabetics, and it's an absolute game changer, right? Because what this does is rather than having to prick my finger to see what my blood glucose is, I can look at my watch, I can look at my phone, I can look at my Garmin head unit, and it just has the number there, right? So oh. that real-time data is just, there was a time where, you know, I've only had this for about a year for insurance reasons. I have no idea how I did bikepacking races without it because now it's just like constantly just like checking in real quick. It's okay. I'm 150 and I have, you know, it gives you like indications of is your blood sugar trending up? Is it staying flat? Is it going down? It's one of those things that, you know, while you are doing these events, people always ask me like, what are you thinking about? And for me, it's like, I'll think about something for about five minutes and then I'll go through a checklist of, is my bike running? Okay. Am I eating enough? Am I hydrating enough? And really before all this, it's what's my blood sugar, right? It's like, that's the first thing on my checklist is what's my blood sugar eating enough, drinking enough. How much food do I have? How's my pace? You know, like just going through all those things and it's just constant. It's just this constant cycle of like checking in with yourself and having that continuous blood glucose monitor makes it so much easier to be like, okay, like I just ate, but my blood sugar is trending down still. It's time to eat a little bit more. It just kind of like just one more thing that you have to kind of deal with while doing these crazy events. Yeah, that's super cool. I didn't even know that was a thing. And um, does that monitor it's it's all bluetooth so it connects to your garmin or phone yep so that's another thing that's changed dramatically in recent years right now with smartwatches and garmin's being so advanced and wahoo's and whatever bike computer you're using most of them have a data field where you can just have your cgm data there um there's still some downsides to it right like some of them require data connections so There'll be times like on the tour divide this past year where I didn't have cell coverage for a lot for long stretches. So like on my Garmin, it was just like a blank screen 
but then it's always on my phone, right? So I just whip out my phone, take a look at my phone. It's good. You can set alerts. So if your blood sugar goes too high, you get an alert, goes too low, you get an alert. So it really is a game changer. Like it is, yeah, it's, you know, super cool as an athlete for me, but just for everyone, right? You know, imagine that you are a parent and have a six-year-old with diabetes, right? Now you have a live stream of their blood glucose. You can like wake up in the middle of the night, check your phone and see, oh, but Jimmy's blood glucose is 120. He's fine. I don't have to stress out about him at school. So, you know, like when I was, you know, even in high school, my mom sometimes would wake up in the middle of the night, freak out, go to my room, grab my hand and prick my finger to test my blood glucose. And I was fine, like almost every single time. But it was just like that reassurance that she would wake up and she's like, why did I just jolt awake? I need to go check up on Azra. So, and you know, for me, even in high school, I was so used to it that I would sleep right through it where I would just kind of throw my arm up at her and just be like, take my blood, whatever, let me sleep. So yeah, that is some really, yeah, that's really cool technology. That's, that's a game changer, especially with, you know, being a new dad, it'd be the best technology if we knew that, you know, our Kaya girl had type one diabetes, we'd be like, oh, no worries. Cool. Yeah. I just yeah. get a Bluetooth. I just get an app on my phone. The joys so, of technology. The joys of technology. God, I know there's pros and cons, you know? Yes. But, yes. Um, and so, yeah. So the first, so no, that was your second time that you had to drop out or first time dropping out of pinions and pines, but the f- second time you were racing it, correct? Yes. Yep. And was it that year you, so last year you decided to do the tour divide or was that Yep. So opinions and pines was kind of my lead up to the tour divide. So that was last year would be 2022. See, I get my years like since COVID, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. I thought it was 2023 all year. I mean, I still check my phone and I'm just, yeah, it's really, I feel like that's almost like an adult thing where it's like, I, you know, once I graduated college, years didn't matter anymore because now I'm just kind of like living my life. And it's like, I know I graduated in 2020, and I know that I was in school during this year, but now it's like, I don't know where I was a year ago. Like, no, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So opinions and pines last year was your lead up to tour tour divide. Yes. Yep. And you've done plenty of long miles. So you were, you were pretty prepared. Um, kind of give me that, the spiel on the tour divide leading into it and kind of your experience with that. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. So first time doing the tour divide, 2,700 mm. miles from Banff, Canada to Antelope Wells, New Mexico. In my mind, it is the Tour de France of bike pack racing. There are other races, which I think are probably more competitive just because they're a little bit fancier. Um, but like the Tour divide is the granddaddy of them all. Like it is kind of the OG bike packing race in my mind and I'm kind of obsessed with it. Like it is, it's kind of all I think about. It is like what I train for, right? So there is other races that I obviously will like want to do well at, but pretty much it's all about the tour divide, right? You can see the calendar behind me. That's my training program, getting ready for the tour divide, which kicks off in six months. Yep. First run, um, I came in, like optimistic, um, that I could have a pretty good performance just 
knowing where I was, you know, how dedicated I've been these past few years to getting the miles in, building up that knowledge, doing other bikepacking races. Started off pretty good. Um, it was hard, so ridiculously hard. Like the thing about the Tour Divide is the fastest known time is Mike Hall, and it's just under 14 days, um, 13 days, 22 hours, something like that. So it's a lot of riding. Like there's not many bike packing races that are that long. So, you know, like Pinions and Pines, two, maybe three days and you're done. That's a distance and a time that you can kind of wrap your mind around. But the longer it gets, the kind of crazier it becomes because you're just in it. You're just, you become like this. I don't even know how to describe like what happens to you like physically and also emotionally. Like there would be times where I would just be riding and everything would be going perfect, right? Great day, crushing mileage, everything's going good. And I just start sobbing for no reason. Like you are just like so emotionally fragile doing these races. And it's like something that I had never experienced before because I'm like, why am I crying? Everything is going great right now. I'm not sad. I'm not upset. I just like, there's just so much just like raw emotion. And it's something that like, I think pretty much anyone who does the tour divide goes through some sort of like, goes through something like that. There's been a number of winners who have done podcasts where they're talking about how they are riding through New Mexico and they're like trying to pull it together before they get into their resupply point because they're just sobbing and they like are uncontrollably sobbing because it's just so hard on you. Like physically, just think about doing something, anything for 18 hours a day, day after day after day after day. But now that thing that you're doing day after day after day is riding your bike really freaking hard. You're only eating gas station food. You're getting maybe three and a half, four hours of sleep every single night. If you're lucky, it's in a dive motel somewhere. If you're unlucky, it's at the top of a mountain pass and you're like shivering in your bivy or sleeping bag. The whole thing is just wild, but I am so obsessed with the divide. Um, unfortunately, things did not go, well, nothing goes according to plan. Plans are great until you start and then throw that plan out the window. It's uh, better to be prepared than planned is something that I've learned very quickly in bikepacking. But it was um, in uh, southern Wyoming going through the Great Basin that I ended up with a tooth infection. Um, I've never had any dental issues in my life. I cruising along, you're eating a bunch of food. I kind of like it was a little bit sore, like a little bit of pain. I was like, oh, this is weird. Fell asleep. Um, in the middle of the Great Basin, just slept in a ditch when I couldn't ride anymore. I was just trying to get through, get to the Colorado border. Woke up and my face was so puffed up that my glasses like weren't sitting on my face. Like they couldn't sit on my face. They were like cocked off of my face and just so freaking painful. And I was like, okay, this is weird, but maybe it will just go away. Right. So I like got to a gas station. I got some mouthwash and like rinsed like crazy, you know, I had been brushing my teeth, you know, and hygiene on the divide is like 
you have to yeah. like take good care of yourself because obviously like it's long enough that you're not going to be like, Oh, I don't need to, you know, clean myself. Right. It's 14 days. You have to clean yourself or you're going to have nasty saddle stores and rashes. And it's like, yes, you have to be like kind of hygienic, but it's not like you're, you know, there with your electric toothbrush and flossing every night and your shaver. Yeah. Right. No, you grow out the beard. You just let it go. Let it go. Um, ended up getting to, Oh, what's it called? Uh, savory Wyoming. And I was just an absolute mess that whole day. I was just like hanging on by a thread and my face was just like the swelling wasn't going down. And like, looking back at it, I realized that throughout that entire day, like the amount of calories that I was consuming was just dropping because it was just so hard to eat. Like I was trying to just like jam food into my mouth and I could only really chew on one side of my mouth because the other side was so painful. Slept a few hours in Savory, woke up, rode to the famous Brush Mountain Lodge, um, which is kind of like the midway point of, well, it's not like the midway point distance wise, but in terms of like elevation and terrain, like lots of times it's kind of that like middle point where it's like you get there, you're in Colorado, you're doing it. Like you're very much doing it. Got to Brush Mountain Lodge and the ride from Savory to Brush Mountain Lodge was 20 miles maybe. And it was excruciating. Um, so slow, in so much pain. Got to Brush Mountain Lodge, slept again for another like four or five hours. And at this point I was in contact with my mom and it was like, I'm going to try to get to Steamboat Springs, which is the nearest town it was you know on course so i could actually stay on the course and go to um urgent care or the emergency room to get someone to take a look at this because i'm like this certainly isn't good um but i also like don't know what i can do right i don't know if there's anything i can really do to continue so after sleeping in brush mountain lodge for a few hours woke up had breakfast and then you go over, I don't remember the name of the pass to get over to um, Clark, Colorado. There's a little store there. I honestly don't really remember that ride very well. I was just like almost robotic and I, like, I have to just like get to Clark so I can find someone to give me a ride to Steamboat Springs so I can like go to the emergency room and have someone take a look at this. Got to the Clark store. Um, was kind of like waiting around, eventually found some dude who was in a van, some bro, just cruising, have living the grand life. And I saw him and I was like, hey dude, I'm in a rough spot. Can you take me to the emergency room? And that's kind of where I dropped out of my first divide run. Went down to the emergency room in Steamboat Springs. Um, they, there was a pretty large sack of uh, fluid that had built up above my gum, which was kind of causing the inflammation. So while they were inspecting it, they actually drained that. So the swelling started to come down, but they pretty much said, you need to go to a dentist as soon as possible. Um, and this started a joyous three or, oh geez, it was like two months of dental work. I ended up getting a root canal. Well, I had like a pretty massive abscess in the tooth. So like the initial cavity wasn't actually that big, but then it just kind of like opened up 
into this like big old abscess. So like, wasn't really something I could like feel with my tongue, but it was like pretty deep and pretty big. So root canal, a post, um, and then a permanent crown. And I had no other cavities. Like I had some like plaque that they were like, oh, you need to get your teeth cleaned and make sure your gums are healthy. But other than that, it was the only thing. Um, cost me a whole bunch of money, but it's all good now. And I really take care of my dental hygiene. So that was the end of my tour divide. So, Man. yeah. That's the worst way to go. Teeth. I mean, I think it's, I don't know if it's the worst way to go. No, because in a, I'm saying like, because in pain. a way it was like, I was almost thankful that it was something like that, that made me drop out rather than something where there's like a gray area, right? Where it's something like, you know, if you're like me really, really freaking hurts and you drop out, it's almost harder because it's like something that's like physical that you almost have control over, right? It's like, is my bike fit wrong? Is you know, my cadence too low. Did I not train enough? Right. But like when it's a freak occurrence, like I don't feel bad about dropping out. Right. Where there oh, are right. other times where I've dropped out of a bike race and I'm like, you fucked up. Like you should have done better. You should yeah. have done this, 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 and this beforehand. And it's like, yes, I probably should have gone to the dentist a few more times before I did. I should have taken better care of my teeth but I have never had a tooth issue before this single moment on this bike race. And so it's like, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, yeah. And I like kind of just dealt with it and I was, you know, devastated after, um, to have, you know, invested so much like time, energy and resources into racing the divide. But the main thing for me was that I learned so much in the 10, 11 days that I was out there. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I had gone from my previous longest bikepacking effort had been North to South Colorado, which was 76 hours of riding to 10 days of bikepacking, right? Like in a way, it wasn't just like leveling up like one or two. It was like a massive jump in living off the bike, nutrition, just all the things that make you a big bike pack or like a successful bike pack racer. And also then just like seeing the levels of this, right. Um, one of the greatest bike pack racers ever is, uh, Sofian. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. Uh, Sofian Sahili, uh, French Moroccan. I think it's Moroccan. Um, the dude is just a machine, right. But it's not like a machine in a way where you see like a tour de France rider, like climb up a mountain where you're like, there is no way I can ever ride that hard. Like I don't have the physical capability to do that. But with Sofian, you see it and it's like so much of bike pack racing is mental. Mm -hmm. It's just the ability to keep on riding and not give a shit about anything else than forward progress. And I think that's what Sofian is just so good at is you know, he uh, did um, a pretty detailed breakdown of his tour divide attempt on, I think it was Kamut. Um, and just like reading his thoughts and like what he was thinking about, you know, he's like hiking. He's the one breaking the trail at the start of the divide where he is hiking miles and miles through these snowy passes, 
just telling himself that it doesn't matter how he feels. It doesn't matter any, the only thing that matters is that he is in the lead and that he is moving forward. And I just love that mindset. Like that just gets me like so freaking stoked that like, that's the mental fortitude that he has developed from doing this, these races year after year after year. And it's like something that I like honestly aspire to, to like be able to push through stuff like that and just be that fast. Like, it's like, oh, like in a few years, I also might be able to, you know, even be in the same sphere as someone like him. And like, that's what I'm working towards. So that's awesome. And it, it's really cool. Um, the ultra world is like you were saying, like, it's not like a Keegan Swenson where they're climbing and you're just like, whoa, how yeah. can you climb that fast? But it, yep. it's the mental fortitude to like continue to not give a fuck. Yep. Because it's all about fucks. The cold, yep. it's cold. It's, I, I need to sleep. I'm tired. My butt hurts. Yeah. It's like the more fucks you don't give, the, I guess, the faster you go. Just keep on moving forward. It's not, it's not even speed. Like you will see videos of Sofian riding and it's like, oh, he's not even riding that fast. Oh wait, he's been riding this exact same speed for 48 straight hours and has stopped for a total of 10 minutes, like non-riding time. And it's like, what the, like, and he just keeps on going and keeps on going and keeps on going. And it really is like, there's a number of athletes who are capable of doing that. And, you know, like there are times where it's like maybe not the best thing and maybe it's smarter to stop and like get a, you know, a good meal. And so you can go a little bit faster, but it clearly works for him. Like he has figured out a way to win these races and that's what he does. And it's just so inspiring for me. So that's so cool. And so after that experience of tour divide, um, you're ready to take it on for 2023. Oh yeah. It wasn't. I mean, I was already thinking about everything that I was going to do differently, like sitting in the parking lot of the grocery store after getting out of the ER or the urgent care. Like I got out of urgent care. I was trying to figure out, you know, how I was going to get back to Flagstaff where I was living at the time, where I was going to stay that night. And I went over to the grocery store and got myself a pint of Ben and Jerry's and was literally just like sitting in the parking lot, my disgusting kit, just absolutely filthy. Just, I'm sure I smelled terrible. Hadn't really showered in who knows four or five days and just like eating that ice cream. It was like such a nice feeling to like finally not be moving because that's the weird thing about like bike pack racing is like, yes, you're racing. Yes. You're riding but you reach a point where the only thing you want to do is not do anything. And it was like such a nice feeling like sitting there. And I immediately started thinking about 2023. Um, and I've kind of been obsessed for the past six months and I've got another six months to get ready. And that's like, that's kind of my life right now is tour divide 2023. Sweet. I'm excited to follow you along for, for that. Yeah, no pressure. Year. No pressure. I talk about it a lot. I don't want to. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm just so. It's such a cool. Everything about the divide is so cool. Like the course is absolutely stunning. Like riding through the Canadian Rockies into Montana. The Rockies were pretty rough this year, just with all like the snow mm-hmm. and the rain. 
but like you first come into Montana and I'd never been into Montana before and you're descending down into whitefish and it's just like, what is this place? Like this place isn't real. Right. And it's like, I'm coming from Flagstaff. Flagstaff is beautiful. I like ride into Sedona. Sedona is gorgeous, but there's just, I don't know, something about those kind of like high Alpine environments that just like gives me the chills. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. And, and you've, I mean, you've experienced so much, I mean, through your journeys of bikepacking, you know, and kind of your whole career leading up to um, this point, which is just going to be another learning curve to for the next year, you know, and yep. it's going to be continuously um, just mastering the bikepacking because it's it's yeah. not, it, it is fitness 100%, but it's also like so much strategy that goes into it. And this is coming from a perspective where I'm right now a full marathon rider, you know, like, Yep. Um, this year, Pinions and Pines is going to be my first um, bikepacking race. So, yep. I, I mean, I've only talked to, well, I've talked to a few marathon riders, but mostly I've, I've been talking to ultra bikepackers and it's been so intriguing. Like I tell um, my partner, I'm like, I, I love marathon riding. Like I love riding fast and I love the training and, and, and doing intervals. And I just love the whole consistency of it and then the ride is only three four hours of just like bury yourself as deep as you can go but like for the longevity of my love for the sport it's the adventure that is you know that drives me to be on the bike it's not necessarily like the racing or the fitness it's completely the adventure and bikepacking is like both of those you can have the adventure and the strategy and the fitness and you also can explore amazing terrain and explore amazing areas in the world and um it's doable you can do like two three bike pack races a year when marathon dude it's like when the season starts it's brutal it's like two in march two in april three in may four in june yeah it's just like too much where it's like every weekend you're kind of dragging the family like all right let's go watch dad ride his bicycle (laughs) you know it's like oh but, um, yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm listening to these stories and, uh, I'm, you know, super excited to try it, but I think, you know, I was doing the research on, on you and I was telling Kenzie, my partner, I was like, God, dude, I feel like we have the same mentality. It's just like, I was listening to a few of your podcasts before and just the way you talk about, um, God, I just, I like going fast and I like being at the front of the pack. Like, that's how I race. It's like, that's how I race. I mean, I want to be, I want to be the guy who's in front and just like looking over my shoulder, like, okay, is he close to my wheel? Is he not? Cause I still yeah. got so much more in the tank that I could throw down. But, um, uh, I, I want to, you know, touch on, you know, a few more things. So I love hearing the toughest day on the bike and especially for someone who has so much experience, um, on the bike, what was the toughest day you've ever had on a bike? Toughest day? Oh, geez. Mm. I feel like tough is like a hard word because you can have like shit days on the bike, but then you can also have like tough days on the bike that like result in really cool things. Um, so the one that kind of comes to my mind is... So in 20, that would be 2021, I did Pinions and Pines. Um, 
which was like my first bike packing race that I actually finished 2020 in the fall. I had started Arkansas high country race and dropped out like on the second day, just with mechanicals, I slashed my sidewall on my tire and I couldn't fix it. It was just a disaster. Um, but then the next race that I did was North to South Colorado. And that was from uh, Fort Collins to um, this past year, it finished in Trinidad, but the year that I did it, it finished in Alamosa. Um, oh, geez, I'm starting to forget. It's been so long, but I don't remember the distance. I think it was 430 miles, 530 miles, 530 sounds. Yeah, something like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I came into this race very much with the mindset that like I'm winning this thing. Like I'm just going out and like, I have the fitness, I have the experience. It's a distance that kind of suits me because it's like, it gets a little bit strange in bike pack racing where for you, especially, you know, um, you know, that first year with uh, pinions and pines, like Martin was with me almost half the race, right? Because he's, a stronger bike racer than me. Like no doubt if me and him were to line up at a cross country race, you would absolutely destroy me. And it's going to be fun. Hopefully lining up against you at pinions and pines this next year, because you have this, like this, like pure bike racing fitness that I don't have, but the longer it gets, the more you're in my territory, right? It's like, it's like taking people out to deep water and just like seeing what happens to them. Right. It's like the longer you get, like once you get into that second night of limited sleep it's like what happens um so i came in the north to south colorado very much with the mindset like this is going to be uh i finished it in 76 hours i'm going to try to sleep as little as possible and so the entire race i only slept two hours and 20 minutes and that last day well that last night in particular was like mind altering um I've had like some sleep deprivation induced hallucinations, but unlike anything like North to South Colorado, where I don't remember the name of the ridge, but you go up this mountain and I'm looking at my Garmin. I'm like, I just need to get to the top of this pass down the other side, flat 40 miles to the finish. I was in first place at this time. I had a pretty healthy lead. But I was also like trying to get it done in less than 72 hours. I was like, let's try to go under, you know, like giving me a carrot at the end of the stick. Right. So super excited about being in the lead. Give me something else to ride really hard for. Pushing it up over the pass, you know, digging deep, middle of the night, get to the top. And the descent really isn't a descent. Right. It's just sandy and water covered so i'm like getting off my bike and like hiking through these streams i can barely ride my bike downhill like it's so freaking sandy sun starts to come up and i'm just exhausted just so so freaking tired and like for me the hallucinations really hit when it's like perfectly dark and you can't really see anything and you just have like the beam of light that you're just following there's like not all that much to like hallucinate about right but like once you can actually see things that's where like the hallucinations get really crazy because your mind and your eyes start playing these tricks on you where it's like what is that bear 
what is that monster doing there, right? It's like any tree stump, anything turns into other things. But this time it was different where those had been like the previous hallucinations. This time it was like, like these swirls of color, right? And so like out of the trail, I would just see the swirling mist of red and it would like gather and spin and spin and spin and then come flying up at me up the trail. And I would like duck underneath these mists. I just tripping, right? And I have never really done any psychedelic drugs or anything like that. I don't know if it's anything like that at all, but I don't, I, it's so weird because like, I like getting to the point where I've pushed my body so far that I start to hallucinate. But at the same time, it's also like freaking terrifying because you just like, in a way you just like lose control, right? Where so much about so much of bike pack racing is about just like being in control of as much as you can and when you reach that point you just feel so vulnerable because you're just so freaking tired um sun continues to come up and it's like sand dunes right i am on the outskirts of um it's great sand dunes national park in central colorado yeah like right so outside like the, of alamosa the massive sand dunes. And I had yeah. no idea that the course like went not through the sand dunes, but essentially next to the sand dunes. And so for maybe an hour and a half, I was just pushing my bike through the sand. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Um, <laughs> where am I? Yeah. Where am I? And Cause it's, it's yeah. the actual, it's the intro for my own podcast, which is the bike pack racing podcast. Mm -hmm. And that is the intro of me. And I was like, I don't even remember taking the video, but it's an Instagram video where I pull out my phone and I'm like, I have another 40 miles to ride. <laughs> like, what is like, how am I going to do this? Because I was so destroyed. Like I had no water, nothing left. And I don't know if this was like my toughest day on the bike, but like those few hours felt like an absolute lifetime. Like it's the sort of experience where it's like cliche to say like, oh, this like changed you. There's no way for you to like go through, you know, these crazy hallucinations, this hour and a half, hike a bike downhill through sand. And then finally you hit pavement and I ride the pavement. Oh, so slow into Alamosa to win my first bikepacking race. Right. And so in this instance, it was like so ridiculously hard, but it was also like the first time I had won a bike race in years. Mm -hmm. And it was like the culmination of so much hard work and so much failure at other races. Um, like that, that still is like a ridiculously special one for me. So, yeah. So that's like, um, bittersweet. Yes. Bittersweet. Yeah, bittersweet. Like so I don't know if that was the toughest. I've had some pretty terrible days on the bike that like, yeah, they're just like not even worth remembering. Right. It's I know. what's the, it's the famous like Alp or like Alpine climbing quote that the best alpinists have a short memory. Exact same thing totally. for bike pack racing. It's like you have an absolute terrible day. You're not even a terrible day. You have an absolute terrible five minutes. You need to let that go. Reset and keep on going. Right. It's, mm -hmm. and that's a skill that you pick up in bike pack racing where, and bike packing and in just bike racing in general, but it's like amplified the longer the event goes is that you just need to reset constantly. 
you're just constantly resetting. You can't reset at the end or start of every day. It has to just be this constant thing where it's like, oh, this went to shit, but guess what? I need to keep on riding. Oh, this went terribly. Oh, I just had a flat tire. Oh, I ran out of food. Oh, whatever. I'm soaking wet. I just need to keep on going. I just need to reset and keep on moving forward. Because it could build. I mean, one flat tire, that's nothing. Fix it. You're a little irritated, but then you have another flat tire. And it's like, fuck. Yeah. And then, and now you're hungry and you don't have any more food. And it's like, like like keeping that control, right? Because it's like, if you stay in control, you make good decisions. You don't do something stupid that might jeopardize your entire race. You know, you take the time to not just use a bacon strip and plug that tire. Okay. I'm going to pull out my sewing kit. I'm going to quick sew up this tire to make sure that it lasts because what's the point of using a bacon strip. If I know it's going to fail in 300 miles and I have 600 miles left to ride, like I need to fix this problem now and not just like push it down the road where I feel like in other forms of bike racing, it's like such a small amount of time where it's like, I'm going to do the thing that gets me moving the fastest and do that where lots mm-hmm. of times in bike pack racing, it's like, I'm going to do the thing that actually allows me to continue and not leave this for future me to deal with. Totally. Um, and that's also like even learning how to like fix your bike. You're, yep. you're a bike mechanic, so it's pretty easy for you, but that's one thing. I mean, that- there's crazy stuff that happens all the time. Like, this past my last race at Arkansas High Country Race, I had built a wheel setup before the race and did not ride that rear wheel in enough and ended up breaking spokes and had to change spokes on the side of the road. Damn. There is nothing more frustrating than trying to true a wheel while you are racing your bike in the middle of nowhere on the side of the road, you know, and it's like, you know, in a perfectly climate controlled shop environment where I have all my tools and there's no pressure, no big deal. But then you're doing it on the side of the road and you're like, why is this happening? What did I, why yeah. did I not ride my wheel an extra 500 miles before I came out here? What am I doing? No. So, yeah. Yeah. And those are just uncontrollable variables that, I mean, you will continue, I will continue and you will continue to face, you know, cause there's only so much you can control out there, but it's part it's of the just, game. It's part of the yeah, game. It's just learning about like, just going with the flow and yep. reset. That's a good point that you made. Reset. Just reset, just got to constantly reset. Really, it's something that I have, I've been trying to apply to my own life, right? Where it's like, you write up this training program, you know, the next three weeks, you start really great first week. And then, you know, something happens, right? You get sick. It rains that whole week, you have a bad day, whatever. And it's like, you can't let that whole cycle just like spiral down. It's just like, you have to reset. It's like, okay today was shit. This hour was shit tomorrow. What can I do to, you know, maybe it's not fix the mistake that you had made that day, but just like get back on the path. Like people talk about like consistency so much. And in my mind, it's like consistency is just the ability to make a mistake and rather like let that mistake, like take you off course for a very long period of time, get right back on the path. And then you fall off right back on the path off right back on so so yeah, yeah like that's, almost like, that's bike back racing <laughs> yeah it's a consistency of mind rather than a consistency of of uh, behavior yeah you know? actions yep actions yeah just consistency of mind because yeah. it's shit's gonna happen 
But if you can bounce right back, just get right back. It's not that big of a deal. No. Minimize it. Just minimize the damage. And I mean, I, you know, we all, we all struggle. We're all human. So we, Oh, for sure. Yeah. But the bike, I, I, it's the same for me. I mean, I've learned so much about just who I am from the way I act when shit goes wrong, you know, cause you get so vulnerable out there that you can really see kind of your true um, ticks, like what kind of pisses you off, what, what makes you happy, what you're actually grateful for, what's important in your life. I mean, I flatted yeah. like three times on a 50 mile road ride. And I, I, I knew I was like, wow, I don't have any patience at all. Yeah. I need to work yeah. on this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it exposes you. It really does. Like that's totally one of the really does. cool yeah. things about the sport. If it's, you know, ultra endurance or not ultra endurance, like the bike and, you know, these efforts, like they're hard and like doing hard things. Like I think it shows you who you really are. Right. And it, like shows other people who you really are. Um, yeah. It's really cool. It's really cool. And uh, Ezra, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of, I like to keep these podcasts around like an hour. Yeah, um, for sure. Yep. So sorry. I like talking. I, I, I clearly have my own no. podcast because I, We'll just keep on talking and I love talking about bikes. So it's fine. No, I fucking love it. I'm not saying that you're, you're going overboard. I'm just saying like, we'll, we'll wrap it up a little bit. Um, cause for, for like our listeners, um, I'll throw your podcast in the bottom of our show notes and, and send everyone who's listening to the Stoke over to, um, bike pack racing podcast. That's what it's called. Yep. Cool. For sure. Um, but just give like one last Hoorah. Like if someone is currently, you know, debating bikepacking or debating getting on a bike or can't afford a bike or, um, has any issue with kind of getting on a bike, (laughs) really, um, what do you have to say to that person? I mean, I think it's super important to like in terms of like goals, right? It's like, have a big dream, right? Like what is the coolest thing that you can think of to do on the bike, right? Maybe that's riding a century. Maybe that's riding across the country. Maybe that's doing the tour divide, right? I'm guessing there's something that, you know, like was the catalyst for you to even consider this, right? it's like, what is that thing? And have that thing but then also just like bring it down to the most basic thing that you can do to just get a little bit closer to that big thing. Right. So it's just like that real simple action. You know, how I started riding a bike was I didn't have a nice road bike or anything like that. I had my, you know, grandfather's 1980 something Bianchi road bike sitting in the garage where, you know, I'm pretty sure I rode around on that bike with the tires like half inflated for the first like few weeks until I realized like, oh, I should pump up the tires and it makes it a lot easier to ride. So it's like just that first initial thing. Um, And I think it's just like, just do anything, right? Just do anything to get started. I think that is oftentimes like the hardest thing for people is that first initial thing. Mm -hmm. Like, all the successes I've ever had in my life are because I just did that thing. Right. And I like, didn't overthink it. I didn't over plan. I just kind of like jumped into it. 
and I like cycling is a hard one because it does require so much equipment, but like people are selling bikes like crazy and go watch some YouTube videos. There's some great YouTube videos about how to find your first bike and then jump on Craigslist, jump on Facebook marketplace, go to a bike shop and, you know, find someone there who wants to talk about bikes because anyone who works at a bike shop generally wants to talk about bikes and is more than willing to geek out for you. And there's been times where I've had customers come into REI, which is, you know, not a local bike shop. And I'm like, oh, this is what you're looking for. What's your phone number? I will send you some options because there is nothing that I love more than like trying to find something for someone. Right. And it's like, oh, you want an entry level road bike for less than $400. I know the avenues to try to find this. And let me see if I can find something for you. So you know, like just those, that first initial step, I think is the most important part. I think so many people just like, don't do that first thing because once you do that first thing, I think it just cascades and it's out of the next thing and it's out of the next thing and it's out of the next thing. And the next thing, you know, you're lining up at the start of a century or whatever that big thing was. So like have the big goal, but then just do that first, first initial thing, see where it takes you. Yeah. Cause a lot of things, you know, you don't need a $2,000 road bike or a four or $5,000 road bike. Go on Craigslist. You can find it for like 200 and yeah. the universe will conspire with you. As soon as you yeah. do it, you, the helmet will come. The friends will, you know, people who like riding bikes will come. It, it truly does. Like once you make that decision, the universe conspires for that decision. So oh, for sure. And really like my, when I first started, like you know, the only reason why I like started racing seriously on the road is, you know, I showed up to a group ride on a junkie bike and I like immersed myself in the community and people are like, oh, who's this young kid who's like, seems like he's in good shape, but doesn't know how to handle his bike at all and doesn't know how to draft. Like, let's take him under our wing and show him the ropes. And those are the people that, you know, like got me started. And those are the people that helped me out, you know, affording a a nicer bike that would allow me to do more things. And it was all just because I showed up to the group ride, right? Mm -hmm. Like showed up to the group ride and like put myself in the situation to see what would happen. And, you know, that was 15 years ago and now it's like my whole life, right? Like I'm, yeah, yeah, it's my everything. So that's, that's awesome. I think the listeners are going to, you know, take that to heart and it's useful because that's the same, same with my experience. As soon as you commit, as soon as you buy that bike, or as soon as you, you know, set that goal, if it's a hundred miles, you got to start with 10 first and, and, and you'll get there. But, um, one more, one more for, for me, cause I want to hear this one. Um, yeah, what, would sure. you, what advice would you tell your 14 year old self? What so if advice, you were, yeah, what, what advice would I tell my 14 year old self? Yeah, so you oh, went up to geez. your 14 year old self and you said, Here's the deal. See, that's such a. So I like, I like live this very kind of strange life where I'm like a nomadic bike pack racer who doesn't get paid to be a professional cyclist. But then at the same time, I kind of just like act like I'm a professional cyclist. And I like love my life. Like I genuinely am so freaking happy with where my life is right now. 
that I don't know if I would really like want to change anything. Right. So that's where it's like hard for me to give myself advice because when I was 14, I was obsessed with the tour de France and I like wanted to, you know, like race in Europe. And I was just so, so obsessed with road cycling. And yeah, I could like give my 14 year old self some advice that might've like taken me down that path. But I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. So I'm just, I mean, oh, I've got one. Invest in Bitcoin. There we go. Invest in Bitcoin. I should have done that to my 14 year old self because now I would not have to worry about anything, but no, I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would like really change anything like that. Would you tell him anything to ease his, ease his mind at 14? Yeah. You got some shit going on and you're worried about this girlfriend who doesn't look at you or this potential girlfriend that doesn't even know you exist or you know these uh, me at 14 i didn't even know that girls existed i didn't yeah that was too early too early <laughs> i don't i mean i think the advice i would give was just like keep on doing what you're doing like just don't you know like i was definitely a little bit of an oddball you know pulling my bike out of my you know mom's minivan that i you know drove to school this was a little bit later obviously not 14 and my you know, schoolmates were looking at me like, what the, what is Ezra doing? Like, why is he like riding a bike in spandex? Right. And yeah. it was like, it was, you know, a very strange thing to do in rural Wisconsin. Right. Like that was not part of the narrative. I should have been on the football team or whatever, not riding my bike by myself, but it like turned out exactly how it should have turned out um, in a way. So I think my advice would just be, just keep on doing what you're doing. Good things are going to happen. So that's awesome. I like it. Sweet dude. This has been fun. I got to, we're going to have to get you on the podcast either before or after your little opinions and pines um, endeavor. We can do yep. a, like little rookie, like expectations and then post opinions and pines. What really happened? I think that'd yeah. be fun. Yeah. Like a before and after. A before and after. Yeah, you know? super stoked for it. It's gonna be great. Afterwards, it's like, oh, dude, I don't know, man, if I'm ever gonna do that again. And I really, <laughs> I want to. Hopefully, I'm up at Pinions and Pines again this next year to do it before another divide run. But doing it in person, right? Just like getting your like initial reaction, like right after finishing or right after whatever happens, I think would be so much fun because bike packing is one of those things where you know, like people will finish bike races and like, oh, I'm never doing that again. That was so terrible. And it's like a one hour turnaround time until they're like, oh, that wasn't that bad after they've like slept and they're like recovered. Bike packing is a little bit different where it's like, it might take you a few weeks to recover. So you might just hate it for those, you know, next month and a half, two months. And then suddenly it just starts eating away at you a little bit. And you're like, oh, look at this race. Ooh. Yeah, Pinions and Pines was a lot of gravel, but I'm I'm a mountain biker. I think the Arizona Trail, that might be a good move. AZT 300 in October? Hmm. Mm. It just starts eating at you a little bit. Starts eating at you a little bit. It's been so. eating at me, and I've never done it. So, I don't... I'm Pinions see- and Pines, let's go. You, me, Martin. Martin. Andrew Stremke throwing down. <sighs> Dude, be so fun. Bring them all. Bring them all. God, I'm, I'm going to be, like, sleep-deprived. And just looking at you going, oh, damn it. He looks like you don't a actually ride with You don't actually ride with people on bike pack racing. You just, <laughs> no one's ever going at the same pace in order for that to happen. So it's usually oh. like, a, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. <laughs> See, See you down the road. Okay. See you at the next rest stop. 
<laughs> that is pretty funny. And I, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. But I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens. And I would love, yeah, I'd love to love to do that little bit um, as a yeah, rookie bike packer. Sweet. So, all right, Ezra. Well, um, I'll let everyone know in the show notes, um, your podcast. Is there anything else you need to like, you got anything coming up or. Nope. I'm just down here in San Diego, riding my bike a bunch, training a bunch. Yeah. I mean, nice. That's about it. That's about it. Living the dream. Living the dream. Living the dream, dude. Living on four wheels. Exactly. Having fun on two. (laughs) Damn right. All right. Well, dude, stay stoked. And then you.